Well, hello, everyone. This is Frank Fear, and thanks for tuning in to Under the Radar. First, I'd like to thank LA Progressive, LA, the letters LA, progressive.com, for publishing the article that I'm going to be reading to you right now. It's about America's politics, America's political divide, but we're going to talk about the political issues associated with the divide um, with a very different set of starting points. We're going to be using a Greek myth and an Old Testament story uh, as, a frame, as frames of reference for being able to talk, perhaps better understand America's political uh, divide. And as I said, what can be done about it? Let's start with the Greek myth, and it's the myth of Cassandra. In his effort to woo Cassandra of Troy, the Greek god Apollo gave her a gift, the ability to foresee the future. Very familiar story. But after Cassandra rejected Apollo, he was in a bind. He found it unable to revoke the power that he had bestowed. So Apollo amended his offering by redefining the outcome. While Cassandra could still see the future, nobody believed what she had to say, even when it came to life and death matters, such as Troy's destruction. So blessed with a gift, but cursed by its application, Cassandra's prophecies were ignored. They fell on deaf ears. Now for the Old Testament story. It's the Tower of Babel story. It's an origin myth because it explains why humans do not communicate using a single language as, according to legend, they once did. According to Genesis in the Old Testament, people migrated to a city in Mesopotamia. Once there, they decided to construct a high tower that would reach to the sky. If they succeeded, the story goes, people believed they could do anything. But the Lord found their audacity unbecoming and levied a punishment. Communicative chaos. So without the ability to communicate fluently, people stopped working on the tower, and only a few remained in the city. The rest, and I quote Genesis, scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now let's look at an historical reference that connects, I think, well to the story, the myth of Cassandra. In June 1858, Abraham Lincoln warned about America's growing political divide. He did so in his famous House Divided speech. In that speech, Lincoln spoke critically about the U.S. Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision. In that ruling, the court judged that Scott and his spouse would live as enslaved persons in a free state. He said that day, and I quote, under the operation of that policy, agitation has not ceased, and it has been constantly augmented. And I continue, in my opinion, it will not say cease until a crisis shall have reached and passed. A house divided against itself cannot stand, close quote. Modern Cassandras, just like Lincoln, are informed, thoughtful, and prescient. Three reasons we turn to them for perspective and understanding. 
But time and time again, as Mark A. Lewis explains, their warnings go unheeded. And I'll quote Lewis. Alarms fall on deaf ears of an audience inured to denial. That's what Lewis wrote recently. And he went on to say, no one seeks out a misfortune teller, a misfortune teller. We want to capture the Rolls Royce, but not the car crash. Jonathan Haidt, whom I consider a modern Cassandra, commented recently about today's political divide in an article that was published in the Atlantic entitled, Why the Last 10 Years in America Have Been Uniquely Stupid. Height writes, and I quote, the story of Babel is the best metaphor I have found for what has happened to America. We are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or even recognize the same truths. We are cut off from one another and from our past. Height calls it the rise of the modern tower, and he believes that it is symptomatic of something much broader, what he calls the fragmentation of everything. Well, I think the implications for America are enormous, just as they were in Lincoln's time, because we have become, once again, a house divided. It's not, <laughs> it doesn't take an high IQ to understand that making headway on otherwise intractable public problems requires being able to communicate effectively with one another and figure out ways to find common ground. But rather than do that, rather than identifying things on which we can agree and then moving forward together, we tend to focus on disagreements and differences that actually keep us apart. And it's not only what we do repeatedly, but it's also how we do it. And perhaps the how is as much of a concern as the what. With confrontational and bombastic rhetoric, pugilistic behavior characterizes America's public square. Every inch of political terrain is fought for in the quest for supremacy. You know, the old phrase, to the victor belongs the spoils, which emerged in the early part of the 19th century in Andrew Jackson's time, has found renewed vitality in 21st century America. And while there has always been a certain amount of angst expressed by one group of people toward another, that level has reached new heights. With socio-political identities on steroids, the overarching proposition these days is not us and them, it's us versus them. And, and I think this is the really important part, and heaven forbid, heaven help anybody who seeks to bridge the political divide. That's because fidelity to a partisan stance is expected, and those who stray, let's call them boundary crossers, boundary spanners, get marginalized, even ostracized. But those punishments, I think, are really misplaced. Why? When we are always right, and we are always above reproach, and they are always wrong and detestable, 
we forfeit the all-important capacity to look at ourselves critically. What I've just described is too important, I think, to simply point out and decry. We need to counter it and counter it aggressively. And here are five ways. Obviously, number one, we can refrain personally from engaging in what I call homerism. That is constantly extolling the home team and pointing out other shortcomings and flaws. And that includes being able to shine the light of critique on the home team. So it's not just a critical eye toward the others. Second thing, we can speak up when experiencing homerism in social situations, especially when it happens in organizations with which we are affiliated. We need to keep that homerism, that ethic, from becoming an enculturated trait in the organizations in which we belong. Third, obviously, we can become boundary spanners ourselves, modeling that behavior in our own work. Fourth, we can also obviously encourage, enable, and endorse others to be boundary spanners, to bring people together for common cause. And fifth, and I found this to be increasingly important, for those others who engage in boundary spanning behavior and actions, we can be a listening ear and also we can be their defender. And that's because boundary spanners need support from people like us, especially when they come under fire. And at least from my experience, they will. And oftentimes it's friendly fire. Well, what I'm really concerned about is America is becoming cannibalized and it's through an internecine war. If enough of us engage in one or more of those behaviors, we might save America from itself. Otherwise, self-inflicted disaster may strike, just as it did during Lincoln's times. The belief that it cannot happen here again only fuels the likelihood that it could, especially when there are warning signals which are all around that it might. So I took, took some time to answer the question, or at least to try to answer the question, why do we as individuals fail to heed warnings? In other words, do nothing when there are warnings that we should. And I found a particularly good description in the work of Rosie Ninesling. She explains it this way. Even when we know something is not right, and I quote her now, we often put, put off dealing with our problems because and this is, these are important words, confrontation solidifies, our confrontation with those problems solidifies the reality of the issue, the reality of the issue. And Nine Sling likens it to a check engine light, light that goes on every time we start our car. And a, you know, it does it long before the engine fails. Every time we turn the key, that check engine light goes on. We know something is wrong, but many of us, I have to say I'm guilty, we're unlikely to do anything. We're unlikely to act. 
We have dodged disasters like that many times before we say to ourselves, so why do anything now? Besides, what is the worst thing that could happen if it does happen? Well, in some cases, it's because terrible things can and do happen. In Joe Bloom's novel, Ridley Road, Sally Malvinowski tells his young niece what it was like for Jews in Nazi Germany before all hell broke out. And I'm quoting Sally here. Everything seemed absolutely fine until the moment it wasn't, he tells his niece. Then it was just too late. What happens when an action becomes enculturated in a society as it has in ours today? Well, Chris Hedges offers clues in his extremely hard-hitting book entitled The Empire of Illusion. And he's talking about America, the American empire. And he talks about our illusion. Hedges believes that it, and I quote, robs us of the intellectual and linguistic tools to separate illusion from truth, close quote. The consequences are tragic, he goes on, because, and I quote him again, reality is complicated and we become incapable or unwilling to manage its confusion. I would add, unpracticed, close quote. Besides, when enough people say a mountain is being made from a molehill, we are often likely to dismiss both the message and the messenger, including, and again, I quote Chris Hedges, social critics, iconoclasts, dissidents, individualists, close quote, who, as Hedges asserts, we go back to his words, keywords, fail to surrender to the herd. That's the problem with Cassandra's is that because they cut against the grain, mainstream rejects them. Well, if you think about the title of Height's recent article, talking about the last 10 years as being uniquely stupid, the words uniquely stupid come out. Because if we don't pay attention to what the Cassandras are telling us, in this case, Height makes the connection to the Tower of Babel, it may cost us America. You can tick off the issues. Climate change, global climate change is certainly one of them, and there are many, many more. Well, I hope this essay gave you pause for thought, makes you want to read more, think about these issues, talk with colleagues about these issues. At least that's what I hope. At the very least, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Under the Radar. I'm Frank Fear, and as I always like to say, I really do hope our paths will cross again soon. Take care, everyone.